Our sermon text today is found in the Gospel of John. John 16, 4 through 15. In the previous passage, Jesus was talking to his disciples about their relationship with him as the true vine, right? True vine. And then their love for one another. How, how much should they love him? Not love one another? A hundred billion percent. As, as Jesus loved them. So yes. And then he warned them of the hatred of the world. The world hate them as the world hated Christ. So don't be taken off guard. Do not be surprised. Jesus told them that they might not fall away when these things took place. He is seeking to encourage his disciples, preparing them for the conflict, preparing them for the mission, preparing them to be sent out, preparing him for the time after his ascension when he would no longer be walking among them, but would be with them in a different way. And that's true of this passage as well. Um, I'm going to begin in the middle of verse 4, since we kind of, that's where we stopped, um, and go through verse 15. Jesus said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of, the, none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgments, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing. Our Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for your word, for bringing us to hear it. We ask that you would build us up by it, establish us, that we might be rooted and grounded, so growing and flourishing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Jesus is preparing his disciples. Jesus is preparing you. Because you also, like the apostles, have a life to live in Christ. And you have reason to be encouraged. You have difficulties that you will face. These words are for your benefit as well as for the benefit of Peter and Andrew and James and John. Although it was first given to them in that particular circumstance on that night just before they were to receive the shock of their lives as they saw their lord betrayed and crucified things were about to change jesus knew that they were troubled jesus knew 
that they were already sorrowful because Jesus was speaking of going away and that they would be more sorrowful when they saw him even go to his death. But he wanted to encourage them and strengthen them. He says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They were disappointed that this time was coming to an end, that Jesus was going back to his father who had sent him. They didn't, they would actually see this happen. Of course, we know how Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose back to life. And then he ascended before their eyes. They'd be hidden by the clouds to go to heaven, sit at his father's right hand. But his message is to not be downcast. For the ascended Christ has sent the spirit of truth. And that's what this passage is about, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus ascended, departed, so that he might send the spirit. And this is to your advantage. First of all, it's better for you that Jesus went away since he, once, he, went, to send, he went to send the spirit, spirit to you. Let me say that again. It is better for you that Jesus went away since he went to send the helper to you. Secondly, we'll find the Spirit reproves the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And thirdly, the Spirit guides the church in all the truth, in the word of Christ. So think of it this way, that Jesus ascended to send the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit has a ministry to the world, and the Spirit has a ministry within the church. So first, let's look at verse 7. It's better for you that Jesus went away. Verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus went away for your advantage. In fact, that's true of everything that Jesus did. Jesus did it for the advantage of his disciples, for your good. He came to earth for your advantage. He died for your advantage. He was raised. He ascended on high for you, for your good. And it was good for you. It was better for you that he depart, that he go to heaven, than for him to remain bodily on earth. He went to administer his kingdom on high. He went on high to intercede for you. He went on high to send the Spirit to you. So think, not only that Jesus went to heaven, and that's how we explain where his body went, but think of his ascension as a good thing for you, that you are benefited by it, that Jesus sent it to rule his kingdom, to intercede for you, to send the Spirit to you. His bodily presence was comforting to his disciples. It was a comfort to them to see Jesus in the flesh and blood right there with them and to talk with him face to face. But his body was also limited. It was a human body. He would be one place at one time. But his presence and grace through the Spirit is not limited and is 
felt throughout the earth. Imagine if Jesus had stayed and had not ascended to heaven. Well, there would be a lot of things different, probably. That's not the way God had decreed things to go. But he would have been in one place. You might be here in America, and maybe he would be off in, I don't know, Africa. Only so many people would be uh, there receiving that earthly comfort. Also, his bodily presence would have likely led to another crucifixion attempt. Uh, Think about the fact that he was there. That wouldn't have meant that everyone would have received him as their savior. I mean, he was there already, and not everyone liked him. A lot of people hated him. Either he would have been crucified again, or he would have destroyed his enemies, and the final judgment would have come. In other words, it's you know maybe vain to speak of hypotheticals here, but it's not the way, uh, it's not God's plan. It's not the way he wanted things to go forward. He would ascend to heaven that the work of the gospel might go forward. That his church should be built up. As Revelation puts it, he was taken away from the dragon that seeks to destroy him. He ascended on high instead, receiving a a rod of iron with which to rule the nations. So the dragon would turn on the church instead. That he was taken away from the dragon and he prosecutes his warfare on another level through his church. And most importantly, to the point, if he did not go away, the spirit would not be sent. The Spirit would be sent after Christ ascended to the Father's right hand. The coming of the Spirit was, in fact, proof that Jesus was at the Father's right hand. The sending of the Spirit in the tongues of fire and speaking of tongues and the uh, manifestation of the Spirit at Pentecost, that was a proof to Jerusalem, to the people gathered, that Jesus was, in fact, made Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Uh, The Spirit was testifying to Christ. We'll get to that in a minute. But the fact that he was sent showed that Christ had ascended to the Father's right hand, being enthroned, having received this gift to shed upon his church. And so he would need to be enthroned. He would need to go to heaven that he might send his Spirit. Now, what does it mean for the helper to come to you, that the helper, the Spirit, would come to you? Was the Holy Spirit not here already? What do you think? Captain, and the Holy Spirit already here? The Holy Spirit's God. God is everywhere. The Holy Spirit was already there. In fact, what do we read in Genesis 1-2? Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. The Spirit was already on earth. Spirit filled heaven and earth, and the heaven of heavens could not contain him. So how did the helper come? Well, he came to you, refers to his activity, his power, his work, his relational presence, that he is personally with you for your good, at work in you, at work for you, at work with the word of Christ, that he makes himself known among you. He fills you. Even in this way, he had already been present in the old covenant. That's how people would be saved, by the Spirit leading them to a knowledge of the truth and regeneration. But he would come with much greater power once Christ had ascended 
in such a contrast that it would be called the coming of the Holy Spirit. A new era of his work would begin, holding forth the gospel even to all nations. He would be poured out upon the body, poured out by the ascended Christ upon the church, filling the church of Jesus Christ as the temple of God, even as the glory cloud filled the temple in the days of old. He would fill the church. He would build it up as a dwelling place for God, dwelling among his people, making it the body of Christ animated by his spirit. So consider this truth and take comfort in Christ's ascension. It was good for you that he ascended to send the spirit here to guide, to comfort, and to cheer, as one hymn puts it. He is the comforter, the helper the Holy Spirit given to you, to you all. Secondly, in verses 8 through 11, we find his ministry to the world. His ministry to the world, he has a ministry to the church. In his ministry to the world, the Spirit reproves the world or convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what we find in verses 8 through 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world Concerning sin and righteousness and judgments. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgments because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit bears witness. That is a theme in the Gospel of John, bearing witness. He is bearing witness to refute, to reprove, to convict the world. He is... Uh, laying out the case for Christ. He would witness to Christ before the world. Well, concerning sin, he would convict the world of sin, I think generally, but especially the sin of not believing in Jesus. The world, represented at that point in time by the scribes and Pharisees and priests who had been rejecting Christ, they would be convicted of their sin, the sin that was quite evident in their resistance to Christ. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And the world would be convicted of that by the Holy Spirit. When he came upon the people at Pentecost, as the gospel would go forth with signs and wonders initially, and then be established and be proclaimed in clarity and power, and continues to this day. He would also convict the world concerning righteousness. Righteousness in general but especially the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what he connects it to here, or at least to himself, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Jesus is the Christ. He would go to the one who sent him, that he was not a blasphemer, an imposter, but he was rather Jesus Christ the righteous. He is, of course, the source of our righteousness. He is the one who intercedes on our behalf, the propitiation for our sins. Not like the people thought who rejected him, but Jesus Christ, in fact, was just. There was no reason to put him to death. And the world would realize this, or would be at least refuted, reproved by the Spirit as he bore witness to Christ. And then reproving or convicting the world of judgment, concerning judgment. Judgment in general, judgment is coming, but also the judgment especially of the devil, the overthrow of the devil and Christ's reign. As he says here, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. 
It would become evident to the world that the devil's power was broken, that Jesus had come to destroy the works of the devil, that the devil had been bound from deceiving the nations as he had done in the days of the old covenant, that the strong man was bound and the house was being plundered, that the old prophecies and oracles at Delphi and other places would no longer lead the nations in idolatry, but as the gospel would go forth, things were changing. No one would be able to deny it. The gospel came with power in the spirit. The devil had been overthrown, the ruler of this world, or the usurper of the rule of this world, the, ru the ruler of the world in opposition to Christ. He had been cast down by Christ, and Christ was reigning. And so the spirit puts the world in its place. If nothing else, the spirit shuts the mouth of those who would speak against Christ that he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, judgment. But also the Spirit convicts sinners and converts sinners from that fallen world, bringing them to receive Christ, to turn from their sin, to embrace Christ and his righteousness, and to escape the judgment to come, to come under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Now the Spirit began this work in the early church, can turning the world upside down. Who could avoid the claims of Christ? Who could deny that things had changed, that the power of evil had been broken, that Jesus was no common claimant? He was no little rebel who would get his band for a little bit and then go away and become an obscure footnote to history? No, his disciples were everywhere. The gospel came with clarity and with power. What man could deny it? And multitudes then and since have received him as God and Savior. Is that merely by man's power? This was the work of the Spirit of God. The, the Spirit continues his work today. The church is not alone as it witnesses to Christ. The Spirit is at work by his word to convict and to refute, to reprove the world. To bear witness to Christ. Well, the Spirit also has a ministry in and among the church. So take heart as we as we send are sent out on our mission to, to the world, that Spirit is at work as well. But also take heart in the Spirit's work among the church. The Spirit guides the church in all the truth in the Word of Christ. Find that in verses 12 through 15. Uh, this especially uh, starting in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The spirit not only reproves and convicts the world, but he also guides the church. He guides it into all the truth. He delivers and declares what is Christ's to the church. He is our bond to Christ. We find that in many ways in, in the Bible, in the Gospel of John in particular. You know, Jesus is the life and the spirit is the one who gives life. You know, Jesus is the source of salvation, and the Spirit is the one who brings that salvation to you. Uh, Jesus is the truth, and the Spirit is the one who guides you in all the, in all the truth. Uh, he uh, brings us, brings what is Christ to the remembrance of the apostles, that we might receive these things freely given by the Spirit. He is another comforter who continues this work in ministry. 
So all the truth, all the truth, all the truth, the whole counsel of God was delivered to the church in the apostolic age. Again, we have to remember its original context. He's talking first and foremost to the people who were with him right there. And he says, the spirit will guide you, you all, in all the truth. The spirit would take what was Christ and declare it to them. So as they went on their mission to all the nations, after Christ had ascended, their Christ's words would still be with them, his teachings. They would understand them better once the Spirit came, and they would faithfully proclaim it. The faith was once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude would say. It's not that the faith was partially delivered, and then a hundred years later, you know, a little bit more was dropped, and, you know, we get added to it here and there. No, it was delivered, and now we ought to maintain it, and to treasure it, and to keep it, and to proclaim it. But it's already been delivered. God spoke in these last days by his son, the book of Hebrews says. And that same message, he says, that was first declared by the Lord was then declared by those who heard him. And then was being written down as the author to the Hebrews uh, wrote. Jesus is the truth. And all the truth is centered upon him. He was the culmination of God's revelation. And the spirit would bring it to pass that it would be faithfully delivered to the saints. Now, the Muslims and the Mormons, to a lesser extent, the Roman Catholics, would err by not being content with the faith once delivered to the saints. They wanted to add more. The, the, the Muslims would recognize that there were prophets before Muhammad, that there were Abraham and even Jesus, but they would say, but there's another prophet, Muhammad, and he came and, and he gives us the truth that had been lost, that had been obscured. And, and then we had our final culmination in the, the prophecy of Muhammad. Or the Mormons would also have this narrative of the loss of the truth and how uh, another revelation would be given that would add further things. But no, Jesus is the culmination. How can you top God's own son, God himself, making him known to us who achieved our salvation? And the Spirit would not take what was anyone else but Christ's, what was Christ's, and deliver it to his church. And he did. He would guide his church in that truth. Today, the Spirit illumines our minds. You know what illumine means? Illumines, like, makes light the light turn on. Helps your mind understand something. You know, if the room is dark, can you see anything in a dark room? No, but when you turn it on, boom, now you know what's in the room. Well, when we meet with God's word, apart from God's grace, it's, we are not able to understand it, or we don't want to understand it. We recoil from it, but the Spirit turns the light on so that we can see what's already there in God's word, that we might understand it. As Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 2, he enables us to understand and receive the gospel. The natural man does not understand these things. But the spiritual man, the person born again by the Spirit, he does. We have received the Spirit that we might understand the things freely given by the Spirit. That is the gospel. And so the Spirit continues to guide the church in the truth by giving us an understanding of Scripture. 
This promise does not make the church infallible. You know, that the Spirit would guide the church in all the truth. Therefore, the church cannot err because it's faithfully guided by the Spirit. Church is not uh, infallible. It can err. Much less does this make any particular figure in the church infallible. But it does assure you and me that the gates of hell and the darkness of the world will not prevail against the church. The gospel will not die out. The truth shall endure, be passed on from generation to generation by the power of the Spirit. Not only will the Bible exist, but people will continue to profess it, that the faith will be kept. When the truth is neglected, when it's obscured, when many people go astray, the spirit moves and the truth again is perceived and it's proclaimed once again. That was what happened in the days of the Reformation. In the days before the Reformation, the word of God was still there. There were still true believers on earth at that time. But there was much falsehood and error and misunderstanding and obscurity. But God did not give up on his church. He moved by the Spirit so that people understood the Scripture, that they began reading the Scripture more and understanding it better and proclaiming it more faithfully, and the people responded and were persuaded and embraced it. The Reformation was a work of the Holy Spirit, and he continues to work in his church today to guide the church in the truth. So attend to the Word of God. Pray that God would fill you with the spirit of understanding and truth, that you might be guided, you personally, into all the truth. Receive the faith once delivered, to receive the counsel of full counsel of God. All the riches of wisdom that are found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and teacher. He is the one who has made God known to us. So let us learn from him as his disciples. And not only to learn it, right? What are we supposed to do with his word then? Believe it, to observe it. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. So the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of truth to the world, convicting it, refuting it, testifying to it, converting sinners. He's also the Spirit of truth to the church, illumining our minds, helping us to embrace the gospel and to understand it and grow in that understanding. He is the helper of the church and the reprover of the world. It is good that Jesus ascended into heaven and sent the Spirit to you all. So take heart. Do not let sorrow embrace and fill your hearts. Jesus is gone bodily. He is, in that sense, in heaven, on high, to return one day. But he is with you and me right now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes what is Christ and gives it to us. Both his words, his grace, power of salvation. So that Jesus, in another way, could say that I will be with you even to the end of the age. So let us take heart and also rest upon God's grace, praying that he would fill us with the Spirit, that we might grow according to the truth. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. 
and we thank you for the Spirit. We ask that you would work by the Spirit so that we might understand your word, be sanctified by the truth. We pray that you would work in this world to convict the world in such a way as even to convert the lost. We pray that you would fill your church with the Spirit to increase in us boldness and increase the fruit of the Spirit, that we might bear much fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.